Welcome to Artful Aging with your host, Amy. Are you a senior or a caregiver of a senior looking for support and direction? Best-selling author, educator, and expert in senior living, Amy Friesen, is here with the help you need while providing you with an important and valuable support network. So now, please welcome the host of Artful Aging, Amy Friesen. Hello, everyone. I'm Amy Friesen, and this is Artful Aging with Amy, and we're live on Bold Brave TV. On our show today, we're taking a look at the sandwich generation and what it is to really care for both your senior parents as well as your children at the same time, while also trying to care for yourself. It's definitely a tricky scenario. Many caregivers I speak with feel exhausted, pulled in too many directions, and most would love the opportunity to be able to concentrate on themselves for a bit. However, if you are a caregiver, you know that caregiving for yourself is always a challenge and on your end, and sometimes resentment from the loved one that you are caring for. I shared with you on another episode that I have a four-year-old who I'm caring for who requires a lot of attention. And just recently, my grandma's health changed, and I've been helping my parents navigate the entire system as well. And although it's not me being in the sandwich generation specifically, it is a glimpse into trying to manage both sides. My guest today is Sarah McEwen, who is a life coach as well as a caregiver. She has taken care of both her dad, who was palliative, as well as her mom, who has Alzheimer's, and also caring for her in-laws, who is she has to give a lot of mental space to as well. Um, additionally, she also has two small children. Hi. Sarah shares. Hi, Sarah. How are you? <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Sarah a lot about her caregiving journey on her Facebook page, which is how uh, we actually got linked together. And that uh, page is on artfulagingwithamy.com if you'd like to have a look. And in fact, a lot of people, when I was looking for guests for my show, a lot of people reached out and said they've been following Sarah's journey on Facebook and that her and I should chat. So there's a lot of people following you, Sarah, which um, just shows you how many people are actually really interested in others' journeys, right? So we all know that caregiving journey, although similar, is unique. For each person. And through telling Sarah's story, um, she hopes to provide some insight into how others can keep walking their caregiving path without burning out. So welcome again, Sarah. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. I'm super happy that you're here because, you know, what, what I do in our aging is really just try to share resources and stories so that people don't feel like they're so alone. And I feel like even how we met through Facebook and people watching you, I feel like that's also what you're doing and just trying to say, hey, there's other people going through this journey, you know, have a look and, and read through some of the stuff that, you know, that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Well, I felt a need to share. I, with my life coaching, I share what's on topical or what's on my mind. And um, obviously, once I became a caregiver, it was all encompassing. And as most caregivers know, it's um, it becomes a huge part of your life to the point that you um, a lot of things go to the wayside. So, for myself, I felt like I needed to share. Uh, with everyone what it's like to be a caregiver and that sandwich generation that you were talking about um, is really a real thing. Um, like you said, my my children are uh, seven and 10. And when I started this caregiving part of caregiving journey that I'm, I started, they were five and 
almost eight. So I feel like um, I was pulled both both ways. I didn't know which direction was what, and it was a very difficult juggling period. Um, it still is a juggling period, but I've learned even with just using my life coaching skills for myself, um, I've learned how to yeah, create that that balance that you need as a caregiver. And uh, it's a very difficult one to do. Um, just as a background so that people know my story, I, I probably started caregiving about three years ago, maybe a, like three years ago in that my mother showed signs of Alzheimer's and there was clear indicators that she wasn't cognitively functioning how she should. So it started in a trickle effect with her in that she was having some difficulty with remembering things. My my father was helpful because he was still around and he was able to take on the brunt of that. But I definitely did help out with appointments and things like that. Um, especially at the time, my dad had a bit of an epileptic um, issue, so he wasn't driving. So I did a lot of the driving at that time. Um, but it wasn't all encompassing until um, a few months before COVID where I got a phone call from my father to when I was on my way to work. And my dad was a very pragmatic, straightforward person. And I was driving into work and he told me that he has been diagnosed with kidney failure and he was going to be passing away within a, a year or so. And I was driving and I'm literally like, pardon? Because <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Um, and he was just so very straightforward about it. I think he actually was trying to make it like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> That's honestly what I think he was trying to do that we, we um, just need to get things organized. So I started realizing that not only am I the trickling effect of my mom's memory issues, were coming in. I also was now dealing with my father palliative and, um, and we needed to get his affairs in order and get my mom sorted. And that's, that was the start. And then COVID hit. So that added another stress. <laughs> Add the extra fun to it, didn't it? Um, yeah, it's, it's very challenging. And like, so, you know, you're caring for both the parents, you still have kids at that time. So you're still caring for your kids and, and, I would also like to throw in the fact that you're trying to remain gainfully employed more than anything, most likely as well, right? Like you have to, it's, it's the caregiving journey and taking care of all these other pieces, but you still have to work and you're still, you know, earning money. Most, most caregivers are still working. I know that as uh, caregivers are seniors more and more, perhaps that is not on the plate, but for uh, folks like Sarah and I were we're both working still and trying to balance that. And I was just telling Sarah before we came on that um, Eva has COVID this week, and so we're just hanging out at home, but we're still trying to balance everything, right? So it must be a very difficult task as well, Sarah, with trying to still run your business. Yes, I, and I and I had other pursuits. I the the thing too is like this passion for life coaching was some kind of like side business that I was like enjoying doing. And I, I had to kind of go to the wayside and any sort of fun kind of just disappeared. It was the time that I would have allotted for myself was given to my family and my parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on a previous episode, I had mentioned too, because we were talking about caregiving as well there, um, that 
I don't even know what my hobbies are anymore. <laughs> I don't think I have any hobbies anymore. And I'm trying to find hobbies so that yeah. I'm not always caregiving or working, caregiving or working, and then sometimes sleeping. <laughs> when the mood yeah. should strike, we, we get to sleep every once in a while too. Although it, it, it's tricky, right? So um, just trying to show people that, you know, it's not just caregiving, it's caregiving. And then it's all this other stuff that a lot of people don't see. Um, and just trying to balance it. And how have your kids been in this journey as you've taken on uh, with your parents? Oh, there's been, we've, there's been so many adjustments we've had. Um, well, I think it's also, they've seen me emotionally drained. Um, mm. I come, I give it all. I was, there was a time when I felt like I had to give all to my parents. So I would do all the things, all the things come home and just let go because it was my safe place. But then the kids yeah. were getting that too. So they were, and they, they catch on. Yeah. They catch on oh, yeah. and they see, yeah, it, it's, yeah, I get that for sure. It's really difficult. Um, let's, let's take a break. Um, we're going to definitely continue the conversation, um, but we're going to take a break here. So Sarah and I will, will talk in a couple of minutes. You're watching Artful Aging with Amy on Bold Brave TV. We'll see you in a few minutes. Are you and your family considering senior living options, but you're not quite sure where to start? In my best-selling book, Breadcrumbs Piecing Together the Retirement Living Industry, you will find tips and strategies for navigating the entire journey. Whether you're needing help with understanding the basics or strategies to help a loved one with dementia, it's all inside. Head over to tntoast.ca forward slash ebook to pick up your copy today. Welcome back. Did you know that according to Statistics Canada, one in four people in Canada provide care for a family member, and of those people, two-thirds were 45 years and older. So close to half the caregivers are caring for their parents and their parent-in-laws. This is a lot of care being done behind closed doors. I would also suspect that when it comes to personal care, many of these caregivers are figuring it out as they go. There's not much set up to teach families how to care for their loved ones. I speak with caregivers all day long, and many of them are overwhelmed and tired. However, there are so many other emotions under the surface that I don't think are being addressed because usually you can't see emotions. So others wouldn't actually know to inquire with a caregiver about emotions. Um, so Sarah, as a caregiver, do you notice that it is difficult to voice your emotions or even your concerns to others? For sure. I think there's like two parts of it. Um, one is that there's your friends that are sort of living their life, especially, and I'm only speaking to what's happening to in my life right now. As you know, we're very busy at the st stage, young children, working, all those things. So um, a lot of my friends don't have the same experiences because they haven't gotten to that caregiving role yet. And they don't even... Um, realize how much encompasses with that and the emotions and the draining. Um, and the very beginning, I felt very alone and uh, isolated in that feeling. Um, and I, it almost, it almost became with friends, particularly it was, I envied them. So there was a lot of feeling like, why is their parents okay? And feeling emotions like that, that came up. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side of the second side of it is also just with the retirement home or nursing home, yourself. So that's in my particular situation, my, my parents ended up going to a long care um, facility. Um, and I felt as though they understandably relied on me because I'm their, 
power of attorney. <laughs> I'm all the things. But so it was like you do the duties. So it felt as though there's no room, no grace period at all. There's just like sign this document. Here's what you have to do. Your mom has an appointment. You have to come to this. And it felt like a very methodical, um, no place for me to just say, I need a break. Like I didn't have the choice. So I would say the very beginning, it was overwhelming and extremely emotional. Um, but then I started really working on myself and my emotions. And um, I really, I began to realize that I was also in grief and that I had to honor that grief because um, for myself, I felt like they're still here. So it's as though I wasn't allowed to kickstart that, even though it had already started. Well, people feel like grief is only if someone passes away or something like that, right? Like generally in our society, generally that's kind of what grief is attached to mostly. And even when I work with clients with tea and toast, a lot of them don't realize it. And when I say it to them, they're like, oh, oh, I didn't think about that. So, you know, there's, again, there's so many emotions, but I, I also feel like grief specifically is not really talked about because people don't equate it with people who are living. But there's a whole concern about, you know, uh, losing, you know, your your parents or the upcoming, you know, whatever's going to happen, that upcoming thought. Uh, and then also, you know, losing what it was before and grieving your previous life and grieving how your parents used to be, all sorts of different things. And I know in previous conversations, Sarah and I discussed two types of grief that she's gotten to know up close and personal. Many uh, people watching don't, like I said, don't recognize that it may be grieving. So Sarah, I'm hoping by sharing insight into your grief and your experience, you can allow others to uh, have a look at theirs. Can you tell us a little bit more about the grief, how, you know, how the grief with your dad is different than the grief with your mom? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people have heard, well, maybe not a lot of people, but there's the term anticipatory grief, right? And that is a term that people use often when there is an illness and it is pending death, like you were waiting for um, the person to pass. And so with my father, who I knew, you know, when we would go to a doctor's appointments, the uh, kidney doctor specialist would say he approximately has two months and then it would go down to two weeks. And it felt like pending doom. Um, at the same time, this anticipation of feeling like I need to spend as much time as possible with him. Um, he was still cognitively there. So I felt as though we could have um, really good conversations. He was very, uh, one thing I'm blessed with is he, he wanted a dignified death. So he was very clear about what he wanted. And I, I felt like it was one of the last things I could honor him with. Um, so I felt as though it was this anticipation that some doom is coming, it's coming. And it felt like every step of the way was, every moment, every time was precious. Um, with my mom, I think what was interesting with my mom with Alzheimer's is that at the beginning when she got diagnosed, I thought right away, I got that grief feeling, anticipation that she's leave, leaving me mentally. Um, but then as she did, and she slowly went away, <laughs> started going away, it almost turned to like this light, like her light disappeared. So it was as though there was no sudden, like waiting for something. It was as though the light flickered, flickered, went. And 
it's I still look for the flickers, but it's this slow, slow death. <laughs> Sounds awful to say, but I'm just being very honest. It feels it's as true though. though. Yeah, my mother is not no longer my mother. So I do get little glimpses, but I'm waiting for those. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> um, I told you I was going to get emotional today, too. So I'm trying to yeah. hold it together on my end. Yeah. 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 So for her, it was a very, it was very much like a feeling of, um, like she left and I didn't notice. I, like I was waiting for something to happen. And actually one day it felt like she was different. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a break because I think all of us need a Kleenex at this point. So. <laughs> We're going to keep talking about this after the break. Um, I know, Sarah, this is really difficult to share, and I am so thankful that you are open to talking to our audience, talking to others about it, because I think, I hope that it will help a little bit uh, when people are on their journey. So we're going to take a break. I would ask that you think about on the break to think about whether you are grieving as a caregiver and really, really put some thought into it. You're watching Artful Aging with Amy. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I've been speaking with Sarah McEwen, who is a life coach and a caregiver. There are a lot of misconceptions and myths surrounding caregiving. How many of you feel that you shouldn't feel the way that you do about caring for your loved one because it could be negative or that you're embarrassed to feel that way? I know that I have my own feelings like that and you think, oh, no, but then you feel like, oh, well, I shouldn't be thinking that. Like, how would people judge me? So, um the other thought process is you should remain the caregiver instead of looking into senior living options. That's a, you know, something that a lot of caregivers feel like they have to do it all. They have to do it consistently all the time as well. And the other, another myth that I've come across is that caregiving ends when your loved one does move into a nursing home or retirement home. So Sarah, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like you've probably dealt with all of these. Do you agree that there's a lot of misconceptions out there about caregiving? Yes, I think that um, I think you've touched on a couple of saying like as soon as they're in a retirement home or nursing home, it's all done. <laughs> um, that was one thing that I uh, realized myself personally that is not true. You are still in that caregiving role, and especially um, when uh, I'm just going to touch on COVID. Especially is when you're an essential visitor. That is you. That you're the only visitor, so you're the only one that can go inside when there's COVID and things like that. So the the real reality really comes down to is it's like you're their um, advocate you're the one that is going to be making sure that everything is done correctly you're their uh, lifeline outside of the residence so it's a lot of misconceptions I think also about caregiving is that um, I think one thing I've noticed is people, and not myself, I felt this way, is it's a, a duty and an honor because my parents took care of me and I feel as though, you know, it's my turn to take care of them and it, it, it feels like it's an honor. It should be an honor to do that. And it is, but it also comes with a lot of sacrifice. And so when you um, tell people that you're caregiving a lot of, or you're taking care of your parents, everyone just goes, well, that's what you do. And it, it it's difficult with with that because it feels as though um, suck it up kind of feeling. And I, I found that that was one of the things that was really difficult for myself is having those conversations uh, with people and the misconception, like you said, of feeling as though it is something you should do and it is something you have to do. 
And um, while I definitely want to take care of my parents, I also feel as though I should have some space as well. Yeah, well, and you, you know, you're also you're an adult, and you're trying to run a bunch of different things in your life and things like that. So it's like you need your own personal stuff. You, you know, if you don't have you, then what are we doing? Right. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also I find that there's a lot of misconceptions and myths and like misinformation because of something you said earlier that a lot of people don't have this experience. There's a lot of people who have not made it to the caregiver realm yet or are not involved with caregiving. So they don't have that experience. And so all these myths and stuff come out of it. And even with me, right, there's, you know, there's times when I have a feeling that, you know, I'm, you know, angry or something like that. And then I feel terrible about having that feeling. And you're wondering if other people are judging you who don't have kids, for instance, or, you know, for you don't have a parent that you're caring for. Do you find that as well? It's just like you you almost anticipatory, like people are going to judge you because they don't actually understand the situation. For sure. Like I, I've had people, so there's a couple of conversations I've had where I'm talking about Alzheimer's and then someone will say, oh yeah, my grandmother had Alzheimer's and they'll go into a whole thing of what they used to did. And of course, like I understand it's human nature to want to um, relate uh, but it's one of the things I think people could really take advice here is that I, I, I really want people to understand that it's not the same as if you were a caregiver, if you were the sole person that they rely on. And also just the parent thing. A lot of the time when the grandparent stuff comes up, I was thinking, well, how old are you? Like 12? Like, <laughs> so yeah. it's very difficult to have that conversation with people. And also, just culturally, I've had a few friends say to me, well, that's, that's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do. And so mm-hmm. there's friends of mine that there's like, yeah, you just let them move in. <laughs> let them move into the house. And I was like, uh, you know, and then you wonder if I don't let them move in, am I a terrible person? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I remember thinking, OK, where could we put them? Like there was a point where I was just like, I guess we got to move, you know, uh, it, it's a lot. It's, it's difficult, too, with our the Western culture, right? Like, we we more so utilize retirement living, long-term care, different stuff like that. But in other cultures, that's not what's done. And so when I'm working and helping families of other cultures, it's a huge barrier because they're in the Western culture, and this is kind of what we do around here in Ottawa and whatnot. It's just kind of generally what happens. Um so they have even, I find that they even have more guilt when they have to look for um, a long-term care home or a retirement home for their parents because they absolutely, like their culture is is like that. So they're kind of up against the wall, not only for themselves personally trying to figure it out, but then they've probably have other influences in the same culture saying like, you know, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you doing this? And it, I bet you it feels kind of judgy. You know, have you <laughs> have you come across that? Like, do you feel like people? I don't know if people are actually judging any of us, but I feel even for me, I feel like I'm being judged, and I don't know if it's be being hypersensitive because yeah. of being in the, the you know what we're dealing with. What do you think? I, I think you're definitely right. I think you're hypersensitive. It's almost like mothering. You know, oh, I breastfed. I didn't. I did this. I did that. You almost feel like, well, I'm going to be this terrible person if I don't do it this way or and I think it's the same thing with um, caregiving it's well I did this for my mom oh I did that for my parent or this is what you should do and people 
forget that everyone is an individual journey. Everyone's different. And even for myself, I have a friend who has a mother with Alzheimer's and I have no place to tell her what to do. No place. And I know that our sim- we have very similar stories, but she has her own life, her own needs, and it's not my business. So I think a lot of the time it turns into the guilt of other people's um, experiences. And you get that kind of feeling like, well, they're so similar to mine, then I should be able to do like them. But you forget we're all different and we all have different needs and we're pulled in different directions. The reality is we aren't all the same. It's true. Yeah, everybody is on their own journey, personally and caregiving. So we're going to we're going to take a break, Sarah. We're going to discuss support after our break. And so grab a cup of coffee and we'll see you back here in a couple of minutes. Are you trying to navigate the Ontario long-term care system, but could use a little bit more assistance? Roadmap to Long-Term Care in Ontario is an online course dedicated to teaching you the ins and outs of the entire industry. Sign up today at tntoast.ca forward slash course. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, Sarah and I are discussing caregiving and also being uh, what has been termed the sandwich generation. So meaning Sarah has both young kids as well as parents who require care. Um, Something I see lacking quite a bit with families I work with is support. The situation I see quite often is a parent requires care and their child is uh, the one main caregiver. And then they also have a few other children who are either caring from a distance or some that aren't caring at all. And I know that many of you just went, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm, because there's a lot of you out there that are doing it without siblings' help. And it's frustrating, I'm sure. I hear a lot of stories. So not only is not having the extra support stressful, but when you layer on a family that could help, who choose not to, you can consider that a huge uh, home run. So I know we touched on a lot of emotions earlier, but this type of situation can also have devastating consequences. So let's just support for now. Sarah, um, you've had a lot of ups and downs, including the first time your mom didn't know who you were, which you were talking to me about earlier. Now, for our audience who may have friends on the journey of Alzheimer's specifically, is there any advice you could offer on how they can be supportive in these super delicate moments that many people have not experienced themselves? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Alzheimer's is one of those things where, like we talked about with the grief, it is a very strange grief in that the person's still there. So I would advise people who are learning about Alzheimer's and the caregiver of the person with Alzheimer's is to remember that that person is in grief, even though their mother is, or father, or spouse, I should say, (laughs) is around. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Is around. So I would, I would, um, let people let people know that this is a real feeling that the feelings are coming from a place of grief so almost treat it that way i think a lot of the time we like you said the, we believe the person passes away and then you're like oh they're in grief and i really would love people to remember that that when alzheimer's is a type of grief that's very unique and it's a slow uh, painful um, experience. So just remembering whoever you're supporting, the, the caregiver who you're supporting, is to treat it a bit like that. I often said to friends, um, really good friends of mine who said, what can I do? And I said, to be honest, um, I would love, like, 
almost treating it like, um, especially when I was dealing with my father who's passing away and my mother, I had these two things. I didn't have time to cook. I didn't have time to do anything. So remembering like you would probably make bake muffins and maybe make make more than a dozen and hand over a bit. And it's just showing that you care about them and they actually have um, a chance not to think about food even. Another thing I would consider is um, instead of giving unsolicited advice, <laughs> saying, well, have you seen this? Well, have you tried that? And as much as I know it comes from a really good place, and there's no doubt in that, I know it comes from a lot of love. Um, Really, I would rather them say, do you need some help? Do you want me to look into something for you? Is there something that I can do for you? Questions like that allows the caregiver to actually step off this like plate of craziness and go, is there something? And it gives them pause to actually say, yeah, actually, there is something. Specific with my mom's friends, they would say, oh, I'm so sorry, Sarah. Joy is so wonderful. I can't believe she's going through this. And they would say that. And then um, a few would say, obviously, offer help, but some would really just not know what to do. And if you just ask the question, um, then I can, and which some did, I can say, actually, when things open up, the lockdown with COVID, please visit her because I am struggling to get there myself. I go twice a week to see my mom and more if I can. And if I know that her friend that she was friends with for years goes to see her once every week or every two weeks, it's another day where I'm like, okay, my mom has someone looking out for her today. Um, those sorts of things really help. Someone kind of tag teaming it for you. So you don't feel like she doesn't have people around and being able to just have that extra person. And what I, going back to what you touched on about, you know, delivering food and things like that. I also would find that super helpful because I know for me, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one out there, that when stressors are high, we tend to not want to cook. We tend to grab what we can grab, order what we can order. And, you know, there's other things in our life that eating terribly are going to affect, right? Like we're trying to keep our health up. We're trying to, some of us are trying to work towards healthier bodies and minds and things like that. And when we get in this overwhelming stress and we just, in those moments, we just don't care, you know, that kind of food delivery thing that you were talking about would really make a difference. <laughs> Yesterday, I was telling one of my friends that uh, we were home for COVID and like, we didn't have any wine. <laughs> it's like, so they literally sent us wine because it was like, awesome. you know, you know what I mean? It's like, or somebody will send us X, Y, or Z, right? And it's like, just that shows that someone's listening to you and they took the initiative. Cause the other thing is, is that a lot of people don't take the initiative or ask you, um, not ask you what you need, but be like, Hey, do you need X, Y, or Z be specific? Cause I'm not going to ask you specifically for something possibly, but that really helps me. Um, and the other thing that helps me as well is that I don't know how you feel about this, Sarah, but, um, another type of support that is helpful is that if I can just even get, time away where I'm only responsible for myself, that's helpful too. But that comes with a lot, right? That's like someone making sure that anything that I'm caring for right now is Eva is taken care of in a point where I don't have to think about it or worry about it or make sure she's fed or anything like that. What do you think about that? Oh, a hundred percent. I would love time alone. <laughs> I'll take the wine too. Um, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we just we just start drinking in the bathroom. Just lock the door. <laughs> Basically, 
Um, oh yeah, I, I remember on, honestly, sometimes I would just look at my husband and say, I just, I just want to be alone. And I'm an extrovert. So for, for me to say that is actually pretty bad because I get energy from people, but I was, I was too many people and um, I need alone time. I, for sure, I totally agree. And I love that you talk about specifics because actually asking um, someone can give them pause and actually go, okay, what do I need? But then you're absolutely right. Sometimes you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's such a normal thing to say. It's mm -hmm. fine, I'll be fine. It almost comes out of your mouth before you even think about it. So I think it's really important to say, um, I'm gonna make you food, what would you like? Um, yeah. what kind of dietary restrictions or can I take the kids for a walk? Yeah. So cool. I think specifics are really good. Like you, like you said, I, and, um, I love, I love that idea. Even down to, you're right down to dietary restrictions. Like that is huge. Like that makes a difference in people's life. Like I can't eat dairy. Great. If someone wants to cook me something, except for if it's full of dairy. <laughs> like, so even <laughs> just going that extra mile, but I find that that is really helpful to, to kind of sum it up for people. Because if someone says, what do you need? I'm honestly going to say nothing. I'm fine because I don't want to put the thought into thinking about what I need because <laughs> it's more work, right? So if someone can just come to me with something that would be even better. So let's continue this, uh, this conversation after the break. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about how to find the small moments and kind of basking in that a little bit. So you're watching Artful Aging with Amy on Bold Brave TV. See you in a bit. Artful Aging with Amy is currently looking for guests and show ideas for our next season. Drop us a line at hello at artfulagingwithamy.com and let us know what you would like to learn about in our upcoming season. Welcome back. Sarah and I were talking over the break, and I thought it would be advantageous uh, to talk about here for a couple of minutes. We were discussing boundaries um, with, you know, family members and things like that. And Sarah has definitely learned to put her boundaries up. Uh, I'm still working on my boundaries, but Sarah, uh, how about you elaborate for us a little bit? Yeah, I think that was one of the things I learned really early on. And that's which actually helped me when I talk about coaching. It's boundaries is like one of the things we really talk about with life coaching. And I had let them go with with my caregiving. It's like like going back to feeling like feeling as though you need to do what the honorable thing and have to do it all. Boundaries for myself was was a turning point in helping my um helping not get caregiver burnout. Um, I had, like I said, I twice a week, I go try to see my mom before that I was probably trying to see her more than that. And as long as well as my father, when he was, um, passing away. So for myself, I created those boundaries, knowing like knowing as though I can only do certain things at certain times. Also not having conversations about what I can and cannot do. Um, I found boundaries really helpful. I, would say, I know you're coming from, I would say to people, I know you're coming from a really good place, especially with the um, unsolicited advice. Um, but I really, uh, what I need from you right now is just support. It, it's, it gives that indication to that person. It's a loving way of saying, we can't have this conversation. And I just wanted to point out boundaries is, is one of the best things I did for myself. I would also like to say that if you are giving support to someone and you're watching us today, that, you know, try not to be as caught off guard because sometimes boundaries are new for people. And so they're trying to put boundaries 
and it's because they're trying to protect themselves. And sometimes people get a bit offended by it, right? Because they're not used to that. And so if you find that that's happening as someone who's trying to support, just take a minute and think it through because it's most likely that someone is really just trying to put up boundaries to protect themselves. So consider that. But so let's talk about um, caregiving with, you know, it's being it's also rewarding, right? So it's a memorable journey for both the caregiver, the caregivee, um, and taking notice of the small moments often eases the difficulty of caregiving. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's why kids are made so cute. So, you know, even I definitely have her ups and downs, but then she does something hilarious and it helps to align myself again. Um, creating memories can be as easy as a shared joke or bringing the grandkids to see their grandparents, or even getting something from your loved one, like a something that's being passed down, for instance. Um, Sarah, you've told me about a few of your cherished moments. Would you share that with our audience? For sure. Um, it, you know, there is a lot of sadness that comes with caregiving, knowing that it's end of life or close to, and a lot of pain there. But of course, like as you said, it's been also a lot of joys. One of the things I noticed with my dad is, uh, all these appointments that were extremely difficult to go to hearing about how he's not doing well and he only has so much longer and all these things, but also allowed us to have time together. We would drive back and forth from the Riverside hospital and it would be like a 35, 40 minute drive. And I was able to spend that time with him. We would get in the car and I started enjoying our alone time and being very present and asking him all the questions and getting all the answers. It was just him and I. So, and I and I actually felt bad for my brother who was in Toronto who didn't have those moments with him and those um, cherished times. And um, he oft, he often felt guilty for not being close by for that reason. And um, so one of the cherished things I have with my dad is definitely the drives that we had between appointments, like a million appointments. And then also um, one memorable and funny uh, time was my dad loves cats. In fact, he asks about the cats before he asked about the grandkids. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah, That's probably like, what I would do cats? too. <laughs> yeah, how's the cats? I was like, they're fine. And how's your grandkids? Um, <laughs> but I would, I, I snuck my cat in. <laughs> um, he had about four or five days left. I, I didn't know at the time because I didn't know exactly when my dad was going to pass, but I knew that he wanted to pass by maid. He didn't make it to maid. He had done all the work together, but he passed before, right before his scheduled appointment. Um, but I brought the cat in and um, I snuck him in and they were letting me go, come and go as I pleased because they were very aware of the, the issue and the situation. So I just went right by. I'm like, I'm here. <laughs> and the cat's in my bag and meowing. And I just brought him Amazing. in. And my, yeah, my dad was lying there and he loved it. He's like, you brought the cat? I'm like, yep. He's like, of course you did. And yeah, and the cat just lay on him. It was wonderful. With my mom, memorable moments are, are, are a little difficult because, of course, memory, memorable moments and making those things. But it makes me very present. I, one of the things about Alzheimer's is that it allows you to really hone in at the time you have, like right in that moment. And when I do get that flicker of light when it's her, it is even more precious than I can explain. It's it's beautiful. Um, I get emotional thinking about it. I get emotional at the time because if she does something that's so my mom, it feels so good inside. And that is something I've learned with those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that must be so like rewarding and difficult, right? Because it's 
you know, as Alzheimer's progresses or any dementias, um, those moments just become a little bit blurrier. Right. And it's just, it's, it's tough, but, um, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to share this because you told me about the cat and I was like, that's going to be an amazing story. <laughs> I'm totally that person that would, you know, want to sneak a dog or a cat in or be the one that would like to see the dog or the cat. So I think that those, you know, obviously not knowing, you know, when your dad was going to pass, I think looking back probably even made it even more special yeah, for both of you, probably, right, at that moment. Can you just, uh, before we close out with you today, Sarah, can you just tell people what MADE is? Because I don't know if people understand what that is. Just can you let them know what it is just briefly? Uh, yeah, it's medical assistance in dying. So um, I'm, I'm very thankful that our country has that um, option. So people who are uh, terminally ill and do not want treatment or don't have treatment can decide to die with dignity and uh, not suffer. So it's a beautiful thing, in my opinion, to have that option. And my dad um, wanted that. And he didn't make it in time. I, I think sometimes I feel that's one thing I have a bit of guilt with, because I called and they need two or three days to get that sorted to do it. But it was um, too late. He passed on the Saturday. It was it was due for the Monday. Yeah. But um, it's a it's a wonderful thing to have. I personally hope that they do it for Alzheimer's eventually because yeah. um, I know that's a, that's a thing that they've discussed, but I do think it should be available. Yeah. It's super, it's super tricky, but uh, yeah, we're, I'm grateful to have it too for, we've had clients as well that had that. So, um, and I wanted to just point out too, that this is what artful aging is all about is really just letting people that they're not let, letting people know that they're not alone and to share these experiences. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you being open and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. After the break, we're going to look at my top tips for families who are looking to support their family and caregivers, and they're not sure where to start. So stay tuned and I'll see you in a few minutes. Are you in need of retirement living, but unsure where to begin? At retirementhomeadvisors.ca, we have brought senior living advisors together from all over Canada to help families navigate the senior living industry. For more information, book a call with one of our advisors today. Be magical. Welcome back. I hope that you've been enjoying today's show and you've gotten lots of information. Um, and although today we are speaking more of a family caregiver or, or a child who's a caregiver to their parent, I'd like to take a minute to recognize that all of the seniors who are also caring for their partners. According to Stats Canada, one quarter of seniors age 65 and older, which is about 1.5 million people, provide care or help to a family members and friends. So they need some love too. So if you know a caregiver and you want to help, I hope these tips are going to help you. So tip one for today would be to touch base and keep in touch. Just knowing that someone is available and that they will follow up makes a world of difference. Many people won't ask for help, so you need to become an investigator and ask for yourself. So that's it's really the part of that if you're going to be supportive to someone, that you follow up and don't just you know say, hey, I'm here for you, let me know if you need anything, which is generally what we say when people pass away and things like that. But the problem is, is that those people that are in high burnout, high caregiving, they're not going to come and ask you for help, most likely. So it's way more valuable for you to be touching base with them regularly and checking in and saying, you know, do you need X, Y, or Z very specifically? 
Next would be avoid telling the caregiver how to do things differently or offer unsolicited advice. Caring for another person's well-being can be exhausting, and many caregivers find that even more disheartening when they have a family member or a friend who who is criticizing them. It takes a lot of effort to make these decisions. So please remember that. And sometimes as the person who's giving support, you don't feel like you're criticizing them, but you know, when you're challenging them with something they've decided to do, that is a type of criticism. And, and it really, really does take a good blow at someone. Number three would be actively making a plan with the caregiver for them to take an extended period off without interruption. Now, depending on everyone's schedule, this could mean two days or, you know, a couple of weeks, just depending. Uh, the idea is that I don't know about, you know, you guys generally speaking, but when I'm in a high stress scenario, it takes at least a day for me to come down from that high stress scenario and take a breath. And then the second day is where the relaxing starts to happen a bit. So on that note, also, please don't expect the caregiver to come back all rejuvenated and relaxed as if they were fixed. Keep in mind that all of the stressors are still in play and more so this break is like getting a fresh breath of air and being able to step out for a minute. So they're still going to be super stressed. They're still going to be right into it, but they've been able to breathe for a day or two, um, you know, which makes a big difference. So that's it for today. On next week's show, we will actually be discussing ways to deal with guilt and stress with David Gilbert, who is an integrative mental health therapist. So if today's show sounded familiar, come on back next week. And if it wasn't the show for you, come back anyway next week and see what David has to say. For information about today's guest, as well as upcoming guests, please join me at artfulagingwithamy.com. Thanks so much for joining us today on Bold Brave TV. From me to all of you, I hope you have a wonderful Wednesday. You've been listening to Artful Aging with host Amy. Many folks just like you feel they're alone in their journey in helping a loved one or caregiver. So tune in each week and let Amy show you that help is around the corner and is just one conversation away here on Artful Aging.